0: This is Blake from the Gig Harbor Fly Shop, and thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Gig Harbor Flycast, and uh, really excited about what we're going to dive into today. But first, just want to say thanks for supporting the shop during uh, the coronavirus uh, period, and uh, we've been really busy putting together fly tying material kits for people and shipping out online orders and curbside pickups and uh, we've been posting YouTube videos nearly every single day and uh and so we've been working really hard to uh help all of you uh, that are stuck at home stay sane and keep those fly boxes uh stuffed full. And um and so things have been going pretty well for us considering the circumstances and um and it's uh you know, because we got great customers and and so we really just appreciate your support and um and man my staff have really come through during this this tough time. Uh, as well. So, uh we have we have uh you know some great stuff coming up as far as fishing and um it's that time of year and uh, we're going to dive into some cutthroat fishing Q&A um here in a little bit, but uh guided trips are not yet uh open for us because uh it's uh, guided trips are a non-essential business. And so that's probably a, a, a few more weeks away, but um you know one thing just to think about is with the guided trips that we do we do a lot of uh, beach trips that are walk-and-way trips, and then our kayak trips, um, you know, it's one person in a kayak. And so when it comes to um, uh, regulations from the government around social distancing and group activities, our guided trips fit uh, really nicely into uh, being able to recreate outdoors and keep safe distances, and so uh, we have a we have a COVID-19 um, social distancing and sanitation policy that, uh, for guided trips that uh, will be rolling out here as soon as they announce that guided trips can happen, and um, we're really excited about uh, that that possibility here in the next uh, few weeks. Um, we have a special podcast that we'll be doing next week that um, we'll be launching on a different day of the week, and so can't give too many details about uh, kind of the special circumstances around that, but, um, but that's going to be great. So make sure you're, if you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you can get uh, get that announcement. Um, and then uh, this, last, this last week, uh, I hosted a, a Q&A on Zoom for over 50 people that, that uh, joined in on video, and we did a, a Q&A on uh, fishing for Sea Run Cutthroat Trout, and so one of the things I did was I recorded the audio for uh, for that get-together, and um, and because I figured that some people w- wouldn't be able to join us and would want to hear in and listen in on, on, on what we have, and so today I give you the Q&A from our Zoom meeting. So usually I have a little bit h- higher quality microphones uh, for all this kind of stuff, but just using a basic, basic sound recorder. Uh, but, um, but hopefully the content makes up for, uh, any lack of quality on the mics, but thanks again for, uh, just all of, uh, all of you that have been supportive of the shop. We really appreciate your business and support, um, and really excited about, um, when we can all get together and have a barbecue and a beer and talk about, talk about fishing and, and all that good stuff. So, um, so here it is here's our conversation from last week okay so um let me dive into the first question and um the um the first question was for those of us who don't own a boat uh please offer tips to optimize our success locations rod length floating sinking line or floating with sink tip stripping basket is that a must how to know whether no action means change fly or move to a new location Okay. So there's a bunch of different stuff in there and, um, there's, there's some, some great stuff. So, um, I, I would say locations. Um, there was another question that I can combine this in where, um, where can i where working at beach walk for sea run cutthroat as well as, um, and then someone else asks, uh, tips to fish from the bank and what types of geography to look for. Um, so I can kind of add all of those things in at the same time. And, uh w- what i would say is is uh to think about the the semi anadromous life cycle of a cutthroat so they spawn in 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 our area they spawn in in a bunch of locals like small streams and creeks on the east side of puget sound they spawn in larger rivers um and so there's we see a difference in uh in life cycles between the two uh, uh those two things and So fish that are in uh, those larger rivers on the east side of the Sound, a lot of those fish will run into those rivers uh, in the fall and they'll follow in the salmon and feed behind the salmon. And then a lot of times they will stay in those rivers and feed in those rivers. Um, Sometimes they'll, they'll dip out and dip in, but a lot of times they'll run up and they'll stay in those rivers and feed until it's time for them to spawn in the spring. Whereas our local creeks in our area, they don't have a lot of room in those creeks when the salmon show up. So they might, uh, they might move into the Creek to, to, to try to find some food behind salmon. But a lot of times those salmon kind of squeeze them out because, uh, because of their size and how small the creeks are. And so, um, so fish in like on the peninsula, we don't have large rivers that drain the peninsula. Uh, it's like, it's just small creeks and stuff. So, um, so those fish will sometimes dip into uh, those creeks, especially when the chums are around in the fall um, and to feed, but they will be in the salt water usually longer and more than fish on the east side that have uh, those larger rivers. And so, um, so if they're around those rivers, those small creeks, so imagine like fish on the peninsula or hood canal fish or, or anything like that. So they spawn in the spring and this can be anywhere from um You know, January, February timeframe, you know, even, you know, the uh, um, Coastal Cutthroat Coalition, you know, they're starting to do some like surveys and stuff like that. And they said that they're even finding reds as late as uh, well into June, which, you know, when I heard that, like just a couple, like maybe two years ago, I was really shocked because most of us think of the kind of spawning time as being more in late winter or early spring, not like almost in summer. And um, and so it really depends on the water flow, and so the rain is a is a huge um, that's like a huge indicator of spawning. So so they're gonna spawn in this in the springtime or late spring around those in those creeks, and then when they move out of those creeks, one of the things that holds them close to the creek mouths is uh, all of these uh, chum fry that come out of the creek. So the chum spawn um, either in October. Or the B run spawns later in November and December, and so uh, their their uh, their fry have a very simplistic life cycle compared to um, other a lot of other salmon species. So pink salmon and um, and chum salmon have a very uh, simplistic life cycle. So the the egg hatches, it absorbs that eggs that egg yolk, that egg sac uh, that it has, and then it, it as the that little fry it doesn't residualize and stay in the stream and smolt in the stream they leave and so you get and you know where a chinook salmon for example a lot of times you'll have chinooks or cohos or you know i mean they'll they'll live and grow like for a year um or maybe even two years in in the river so those little fry will leave and they're just tiny they're just tiny little uh bait fish and they can i mean they can hardly uh you know they, they can't do do much and so So when the cutthroat leave those creeks, I mean, they have a food source that comes out at a pretty opportune time for them uh, pretty quickly. And one of the great things is that uh, for us as anglers is that if we focus on uh, close to the proximity of creeks uh, in that early season, that's where we're going to find the majority of cutthroat that are feeding. And there's not a lot of, uh, of other food available. Well, there's always food available in the Sound. It's amazing how diverse it is. But... When it comes to bait fish, in that in the springtime, like right now, um, the sand lance, the you know, the, they haven't spawned. Uh, the herring, if they have spawned, they they've either haven't hatched or their fry are or, or so small that they're you know they're not really on the radar for uh, for cutthroat, um, uh, smelt, anchovies. Uh, you you can go down the list that like there hasn't been like this, you know, this big hatch of bait fish. Uh, And so the, the fish that are in the sound are feeding on the stuff that's available year round, like you amphipods. So like kind of krill type stuff, shrimp. Um, And then for, as far as like, what we would classify as bait fish, like sculpin is probably the number one year round uh, food source for cutthroat. Um, And so, uh, so, um, so, you know, I love, I love fishing sculpin flies. And that's why we were talking before a bunch of you, uh, the rest of you jumped in here. We were talking about, uh, about, you know, flies that are, if you could fish one fly and, and a couple of people yelled out the sea run bugger. And it's a, it's a, it's a great fly because it fishes year round. The chum fry in April, May, and into June, uh, those really small little chum fry patterns can be super effective. And, um, and, you know, I probably wouldn't fish one in November. I'd rather have a sculpin pattern. Uh, but in May or June, like it's a seasonal thing. It's kind of like uh it's kind of like salmon flies, stone flies. Uh, man, if you're on the the shoots uh, at the end of May, you want to be throwing probably a stone fly. You know, in October, <laughs> you probably don't want to be throwing a stone fly. So, um, so it's, so you know there is a seasonality to some of the bait fish that are out there and the food sources that are out there. So. So as those fish, uh, those, those Trump fries stay near shore for about 60 days as they migrate out to the ocean and then, and then start their migratory journey. So the, as those fish move, uh, move away from their uh, home creek and their home estuary or where, wherever they hatched and, and left from, the cutthroat will move with those fish as they feed. So there'll be waves and waves of these these chum fry coming out, and it'll, sometimes these schools of chum fry are like just massive, like just thousands and thousands of them. It almost looks like if you grabbed a handful of sand and threw the handful of sand on the water, and and just the disturbance that that makes. Sometimes that's what it looks like when these chum fry are trying to jump and get away from uh, get away from a predator. Like it just looks like like I mean because they're so they're small, they're an inch to you know maybe an inch and a quarter inch and a half long um and and pretty pretty small so as those waves start to uh you know as as more bait comes out into the sound and they start like kind of moving their way down and as that hatch uh kind of pro it gets prolonged to the point where there's not really any more chum fry coming out those cutthroat follow those schools along the beach and that starts to spread those fish out um, and I've even had times where, like, for example, out on Hood Canal where we're fishing the mouth of a bay. There's a nice bend to the bay and, um, and we, we're just hammering on cutthroat and they're just gorging on just on millions of chum fry. And, uh, and then, we, you know, I go back a week later with clients, maybe a week and a half later. And, it, you know, the same spot and, you know, it's like it, it just seems like it's right. And there's still chum fry around, but maybe not as many uh, chum fry, and I can't find a fish at all. And, um, and, you know, we go down the beach in the kayaks, like a half mile and there they are there. I mean, they're just all over the, you know, so they'll, they'll move. Um, and then as more and more bait fish become available, then those, those fish will spread out. And I, what I have found is that the cutthroat are most spread out, uh, usually August, like, like to late August, um, there's some beaches where I'll find some some like I just know that at the mid mid part of August to the end of August I'm gonna find some really big cutthroat on beaches that um, consistently year after year that I never find a cutthroat on uh, in May or June or July and I won't even go to those spots because uh, I just know I won't find a fish there but like three months later two months later it's it's like a guaranteed spot for... For really large fish. So, um, so so that's so when you're when you're looking at beaches to go to, you want to be thinking about this the kind of the the ebb and flow of uh their, their their mini migration. And so in the springtime, they'll be closer to their home estuaries and streams, and then they start moving to other beaches, and then by midsummer, they're as spread out as they're gonna be. And then when October comes around, especially November. November, they start coming back to those to those streams and those estuaries, and um, and so like for example, the Narrows uh, Narrows Beach is a popular spot. Um, you know, there's a park there. There's miles of beach you can walk, and uh, it's a really fishy spot. It, it is the funnel for the entire South Sound. Like all the water's got to go through there. But um, people ask all the you know they'll they'll say, hey, I'm going cutthroat fishing. I'm a good I'm going to go down to Narrows, and I'm always like. Okay, well, it's it's March and N- Narrows is like, you know, two miles from the closest stream. And, you know, and, and then they always come back in and say, yeah, I caught a cutthroat. You were wrong. There are cutthroat there. and And it's like, but there, it's always one cutthroat. It's never like, it's never like really, really good in November, December, February, May. You know, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's definitely one of those spots where there will be cutthroat there, but they need to get there. Uh, later into the season and so um, so I you know fish over winter there will be fish down there but it's definitely more of a, a summertime into fall thing when they're the most spread out because if if a fish is, if a cutthroat is at the narrows that means that its home estuary stream is either in Wallachet Bay one of the creeks in Wallachet Bay or it's from it's from the harbor it's from it's actually from Gig Harbor and they had to come all the way down to that way so So when you, you know, Google Maps is your friend. So when you look at a map and you're looking at, um, you're looking at different play access spots, you know, be looking at, uh, like different streams. So for example, uh, one of the questions was asking about, um, so there was a question on here. Let's see. Someone was asking about area 11, primarily like Redmond to Seahurst, uh, both sides of the sound. And, um, and I mean, I honestly, I have not fished a lot of that east side of, of Puget Sound area. Uh, I mean, I'm I I feel fortunate to live over in Gig Harbor, and um, you know, I, I love to to be able to go the other direction away from everyone. I, I don't want to go to Seattle to fish. I want to I want to go want to go out to the middle of nowhere. So, um, but I, so I pulled up on Google Maps just to look at this area that um that someone was asking about. And, um, and so looking at it the first thing I noticed was um, you know and just, and, you know so if maybe someone here has fished this area and they know it but you know looking at that that kind of Redmond the Seahurst side of this uh, sound um, I saw that uh, at Seahurst Park that there's a there's a creek I think it's called Salmon Creek that comes in uh, the beach structure looks really good in there it, it doesn't drop off super fast uh, it looks like there it, there's a, a good contour to it. Um, and then I looked up further North and I looked at like, I like golden, golden gardens looked good. Carkeek park looked good. Uh, Lincoln park looks good, but I've heard people talk about that and I've never heard people catch a cutthroat there, but it looks like a good, it was, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you're looking for are, uh, beaches that have character to them. You want points, um, of land you want, like you want natural beach structures, So that's why parks are great. Um, I mean, if it's just a cement bulkhead or it's industrialized, like it's just not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be the, the best habitat. Like you might find fish there, but I, I consistently find more fish, not where a bulkhead is than where a bulkhead is. Um, and so, so, um, let me see a couple other things that they were, um, rod length, floating and sinking line, stripping basket. Okay. So rod lengths, I think you want a rod that's nine feet long or longer. So, um, I mean, a lot of people have a nine foot, nine foot rod. Um, and I think that that's great. Nine and a half foot rod off the beach is great as well. When you get to a 10 foot rod, it can it depends on the manufacturer, the rod model and the action of the rod. Uh, if, if it's a premium rod and it's a faster action rod, a 10 foot rod can be just a, a distance casting, just cannon. Um, but a lot of times manufacturers and um, like, for example, I'm thinking about like Scott fly rods. I love Scott Rods. They their 10-foot rods, though, are they the way that Jim designs them is he he's imagining anglers using a 10-foot rod for roll casting in a river situation, single-hand spay casting, indicator fishing, stuff like that. And that's not that's not going to be a great beach rod. It's gonna have a it's gonna have a deeper bend to it, it's gonna be a little bit slower action, it's just gonna be a little bit of a heavier rod. Now, like a sage 10-foot rod um like a sage x it's going to have kind of the similar feel that their nine and a half rod uh would feel like it's going to be a faster action rod it's i mean honestly a lot of those sage 10 foot rods i don't think are good uh good single hand spay rods unless you load them up pretty heavy or indicator rods i I like that feel that the scott rod has but for off the beach and overhead casting with a 10 footer like it's it's Crazy. I mean, the, the Sage X nine and a half foot six weight. It's probably my favorite beach rod um, paired up with the Coastal Quick Shooter. It's, it, it's, that rod's a cannon. It just, it just bombs lines. So I usually, I mean, we sell a lot of intermediate lines, but I really like a floating line um, because for me, just um, at kind of where I'm at in my angling journey, I, I like the, I like that whole visual part of of seeing fish come up and take a fly on the surface i love uh watching fish crush top water stuff i think i think that's fun i think i think an intermediate line especially for newer anglers um if you have a stripping basket to manage the line i think the intermediate line actually hooks more fish um but um but i, I mean it's like with trout fishing if i go trout fishing you know i know maybe i can hook 15 or 20 fish with the indicator, but if I can get four fish to eat the dry fly, like, <laughs> I mean, that, I just think it's worth, you know, or with steelhead, I would rather spend three days to swing one or two steelhead, uh, than you know, try, you know, then get three or four on an indicator in a day. You know, it's just, I, I just think the, ex- the experience of it for me, at least, um, is, you know that's that's why i like to fish the floating lines cuz i like to fish top water but when i have to switch up then i do switch to intermediate lines i like the rio coastal quick shooter out of the kayak a lot of times what we do is that we'll fish a type 3 rio outbound short so it's got an intermediate running line and then the the shooting head the front part is a 30 foot type 3 sinking line and uh, and f- and for us um, I mean, our, for our guide business, we're, I mean, our busiest is in July, August, you know, not really the, I mean, it's a, it's an okay time to go fishing for cutthroat. The weather's great. I love being barefoot in a kayak. That's awesome. But you know, September and October are much better fishing. Um, And so using that, that type three line, it allows us to sit on the outside of uh, the kelp beds and fish that water. That's a little bit deeper, kind of like that that I would say eight to 15 feet of depth. Um, and especially when the sun's up, uh, I mean, in, the, in July, if you can get on the water at first light or in the evening, um, throw in topwater gurglers or Milwaukee beach uh, poppers or wh- any of that kind of topwater bait fish patterns. I mean, it, the topwater action can be exceptional, but, uh, but once that sun gets up, especially in July, when it's just really bright, you know, mid July, July, end of July, going to that inner uh that type three line that sinks at at three inches per second i mean we have found that not only does it get us away from the smaller fish it just puts us you know and puts us in where those bigger fish are at but it just consistently put you know puts fish in the net instead of you know kind of hoping a cloud materializes out of nowhere to cover up the sun for 20 minutes to get a get a fish to strike so um a stripping baskets i mean i you know some there's a lot of people that don't like to use stripping baskets off the beach I, I i would rather not go beach fishing you know if if i had to leave my stripping basket at home like it's just it's a, it's for me it's essential um because i just get frustrated like i mean especially if i'm throwing an intermediate line i get frustrated with my line getting hung up on on the kelp on the rocks it damages the line um it's just i don't know i mean and i'm kind of a lazy fisherman now at this point like I, I want things to just you know be relaxed and and i just feel like with my lines everywhere and tangling over everything like i feel like i can't relax i feel like I feel like it's too stressful for me so um so that's so rod length nine to nine to ten feet definitely nine to nine and a half is the sweet spot uh floating lines are great if you love that top water experience but the intermediate line i think fishes a little bit more consistently if there's any wind chop, that intermediate line holds underneath those wind waves and allows you to stay directly connected to that fly. So you actually hook that fish, you feel that fish, it takes the slack out of the system. Um, out of a kayak or a boat, fishing a little bit of a faster sinking line, like a, like a sink three in the summer is great. Um, and then where you go, thinking about where fish, how their life cycle works. If you're fishing a beach that doesn't have a lot of streams around it, You know, you might want to save that beach for later in the summer and you might want to find some spots that have uh, more more access to fresh water. So uh, Purdy is an example of um, of a beach that has multiple streams in close proximity. I mean, there's there's five streams within uh, within a very small radius that 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 show up right there. Um, and so you end up with just having a ton of fish, and that's why that place, that spot, gets pounded by a lot of anglers. I mean, there's people there almost every single day, and it, it's because there's fish there every single day. So it's it's a pretty consistent, pretty consistent spot. Okay, so that that was. I need to take a take a breath here. You guys hanging in there with me? Good. Okay. Okay, well, I I'll, I'll keep going. I mean, I don't like I said I don't, so my you know, the Zoom thing's new to me and I I feel like I'm kind of finding my way, finding my way through it. So, um someone someone asked about how far uh, Cutthroat Venture out from their freshwater inlet. Um and and they they said it seems like popular fishing spots are all near inlets and I th- I always thought that um uh that the um that the cutthroat would only go about maybe a mile or two from their home estuary stream, just from like where I was hooking fish and just from my experience. But it was really, it was really cool to talk with some people from the coastal cutthroat coalition, uh, like James Losey, who works for the department. And, um, and they've done some tracking now with fish and like, they're finding that some fish will go, they'll migrate as much as 18 to 20 miles, which, that was that, I mean, I was shocked to hear that. And, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't get to follow around cutthroat or have my own tagging equipment or anything like that. So, you know, it was, you know, so I, I don't really have any, any science to back up, you know, what I had previously thought, but I think, I think a lot of us had just thought that cutthroat would go only a couple miles because we would find fish a little bit further away from the streams as the summer progressed. And then we would, you know, find them back at the streams in the winter. And so, I think, um, so I, I, you know, I think that there's some really great science that's coming out and, and there has been pretty much no science on cutthroat on coastal cutthroat, uh, until the last just handful of years, maybe the last four years. Um, and partly that's because they, they really don't have any kind of economic value to, um, like Washington commercial fisheries or, or anything like that. I mean, you don't see coastal cutthroat in the, uh, you know in the in the case at fred meyer it's you know it's just it's salmon it's halibut you know steelhead stuff like that and so you know all of the research has been into uh those larger migratory fish that have made up the historically the bulk of the commercial fishery and so it's really cool to see some some development around that uh, a couple of quick questions that have come through um someone said, asked, uh, when is Washington opening season again? And it opens on Tuesday, and so this next Tuesday, May fifth, it opens for uh, for all saltwater areas for Cutthroat uh, areas. I think one through four, one through five, something like that. So this is like the co- the coast, the Pacific coast. Um, like those those are not opening um, yet because they require extra monitoring. But um, but if you want to fish for salmon. Area 13 opens on Tuesday. If you want to fish for cutthroat, I would recommend Hood Canal and then everywhere in Puget Sound. Area 13, 11, 10, et cetera. That all opens. All of the lowland lakes, they open as well. Um, you know, you check the regs to, just to make sure that where you want to go is open. Um, a couple, you know, I know we're talking about cutthroat, but, um, I mean, I was looking at a couple. I took, I wrote them down, right? Here. No, where they go? I I was looking at the stocking report. So on on the W WDFW website, they actually put in where they've stocked fish in the last thirty days. They also show what their their stocking plan is for the year, and I was pretty shocked that there were a handful of lakes that they were putting like four and five pound trout trout into. And it's like, yeah, that's a, I mean, it's not it's not too bad. So, um, so you know, uh, Nawazo Lake. Benson Lake, Devro, uh, Lost Lake, T Lake, a couple different lakes in Mason County, Kitsap County that had been stocked with fish. So lakes open up, and then rivers open up as well, um, and so like the Yakima is going to open, and and um, I mean stuff like that. So there's there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of opportunities to go go out and, and fish. So uh, for tides, um, you know, so I you know, my, most of my cutthroat fishing, uh, when I was getting into this was just, I mean, it was pretty much all off the beach. And so for those of us, those of us that beach fish, um, we, we never really have the opportunity to, to really explore a lot at high tide. I mean, you're, you, there is either no beach or you can't walk far because th- there's going to be obstructions on the beach with trees and stuff like that. And so, so we would always fish lower lower, uh, lower tides, either from the, the, the low on the incoming or once the outgoing has started to go down and then have it go down. Now that I've been uh, doing a lot of kayak fishing and being able to fish inshore, really close to shore with, with a whole lot of different, uh, different tides, um, I mean, it's been, it's been kind of crazy because I've been... I mean, I had my pattern of what, where I would think I would see fish, like outgoing tide. Once the tide gets moving, um, and gets into the middle part of the tide, the fish are really active. And and that's when we see the most success, the incoming tide as that incoming tide turns and is starting to push. If it's a slow incoming, like it seems to be really good. And then I would think that like slack tide was no good. Um, and, and I would, you know, I would even kind of like, you know, I kind of would like chill out a little bit guiding. I would just kind of like, oh, it's, it's slack tide. We kind of need to just, you know, it's, you know, we should maybe have an early lunch or, you know, but, but there's been enough times now where even at the slack, I'm, I'm like, man, I can't believe that there's fish that are still, you know, chasing flies or we're seeing activity and stuff like that. Um, but I think in general, an outgoing tide It seems like an outgoing tide in the morning is the best thing to fish if i'm going to fish an incoming tide it better be in the morning an incoming tide in the afternoon in my experience has been absolutely horrible like it's really bad (laughs) so um i mean with all that said yes the best time to fish is when you can and if you only have a couple hours in the afternoon that's one of the great things about our fishery in our backyard is that it's 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 in our backyard you can go you know you can go fishing for 2 hours and you you've, you haven't wasted the whole day you know driving somewhere um, it's just right there so um, but i you know those those tides that go from an outgoing tide in the morning uh, especially like the, where the high tide is in like in the dark And then the tide goes out in the morning and then it slacks out in the late morning and there's an incoming tide from the late morning in, you know, into the afternoon that, that, that first half of the incoming tide uh, that I've had some really good success with that. I mean, that's, that, that can be a great, uh, a great kind of program to fish, fish all morning long into the early afternoon. And then I know it's going to, it's not going to be as good as it had been um, in the morning. So, um, any, any questions about tides, uh, you know, as since we're, we're there, you can also, there's a chat feature in here too. If you want to uh, text in, you know, you can type in, um, uh, you know, questions if you want, just because we, since we have like 40, 42 people in on the, uh, 43, cause Mike just joined us. So, <laughs> so, okay. New moon or full moon? Uh, good question. So with the moon, it's going to, um, that that determines the tide right so if it's a new moon or a full moon it's going to be the highest tides if it's just like a quarter moon half moon like that's when we start getting more gentle tides um and you know i don't i don't know um if cutthroat are feeding at night on a full moon um i mean you know for all of us that live in washington we don't, we don't even see the moon from, you know, like October through like June, right? Cause it's never, it's always cloudy. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, I don't, so I haven't really seen, uh, any difference between, uh, between new moon or full moon type, um, fishing, but, but both of those create more extreme tide exchanges. And so when the, the tide exchanges, um, you know, are like a, a 10 foot, 11 12 foot tide and there's a you know over a six to seven hour period that's a lot of water moving if you think about 12 vertical feet um i mean that's a lot of current and if it's an outgoing tide with that much current it really moves around uh, a lot of uh a lot of bait and um and that makes that bait vulnerable to those cutthroat that are the more uh you know they're, they have a, they're a better swimmer so um you know that it's you know so those those kind of uh, those kind of tides are, 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 great. And so I look at the tides, you know, sometimes people want, want to book a trip and, and they're like, Hey, when, you know, I'm flexible on dates. When, when can we go? And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's awesome. I love, I love hearing that. So I'll look up, um, you know, on the, the calendar of uh, what the moon's doing and what the tide's doing and, and the timing of the tide. So, um, I mean, you could have a big tide, but it might not, it might not line up with daylight hours. For example, in December, we have huge tides in December, and some of the tides would be good tides if we had daylight after four p m <laughs> but it's like you know you you have a high tide in the middle of the day, which means that yeah you know, from eight a m till four p m when you have daylight there's it's just high tide like you know the you know so it just so it depends on the daylight uh depends on where it lines up in the in the day but those those aggressive tides, I uh, I find to be especially when it's an aggressive outgoing tide, I find those to be really good. So, um, so for guiding, I just got off the phone um, two hours ago uh, with I'm on the um, Fish and Wildlife uh, Guide Advisory Board, and uh, we were we've been working on. Um, working on a letter to the governor with um, in association with the charter boat uh, industry. And um, they're the three different charter boat uh, associations in the state. And, um, and just to try to figure out how we can guide safely. Uh, that's, that's really, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, for most of us, that's the, the primary concern is, we all want to get back to work. I mean, we want to work, but how can we do it so that we're, you know, following, uh, following what, what the government is saying is the safest way to to be able to do our jobs around people and assisting people, and um, and so um, so you know we, there's a letter that's going to the governor. I, I don't I don't think that guiding is going to end up happening for uh, probably a couple weeks at least. Um, and I feel fortunate that when it does open up for us, um, just because of of our business model, what we what we've been doing. Uh, walking Wade trips off the beach and uh, ev- everyone being in their own, you know, ho- Hobie pedal drive kayak, you know, I mean, it's just, we, we were doing social distancing before we even knew, knew what the term meant. <laughs> so um, we don't do a lot of drift boat fishing or, or uh, skiffs or anything like that. Um, and we definitely don't do charter boats with, you know, 20 or 30 people in a boat. So, um, you know, so for us, it's, it's, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back out there with, with that, with only having to make a couple minor revisions to what we already do, um, compared to some of the other, um, you know, operations that are running, you know, you know, a lot of people on one boat and, you know, for them, it's going to be more challenging. And, um, so I, I would imagine that guiding would open, uh, maybe third week of, of May or June 1st, depending on, uh, if things get approved by the governor, uh, but I, th- I'm, I'm actually, I was talking with, um, with Steve Joyce from Red's fly shop earlier today, and we were talking about this whole issue and, and he had a really great perspective on it because, uh, when fishing opens next Tuesday, my goodness, it's going to be, it's going to be like uh, the opener of the century. Like, I mean, everyone's going to go fishing on Tuesday, Wednesday, like it's going to be crazy. And it's going to be good that there's not guides on, on the water for that first initial push, just because there's going to be so many people out on the water. So I think it's good to just let the public have the water so we can spread the most amount of people out. And then the guides guides can get back to working a couple of weeks later. Um, so I'm going fishing, I'm going to take my eight year old out. Um, and <laughs> we're going to go pound on some crappie in a local Lake. Um, Maybe the next day, I'm, I think I'm I'm thinking about going kayak fishing for kings and seeing if we can get a king, uh, early season. And then, uh, and then I think I'm gonna go bass fishing in a lake. So I, I I'm kind of putting together my schedule of just me getting to go fishing, which, you know, it's it's not something I always get to do. Usually I'm I'm working, so it's kind of a kind of a nice thing. So um so i'm seeing the questions in the chats that's uh, that's awesome uh, you know keep that up i'll uh, let me run through a couple more of these other questions just with the limited time that we have um so someone asked about the chum baby run in the spring and um and uh and i you know did we miss it and i don't think we you know we will we definitely missed part of it um but i think that um i think that you know one of the things i was thinking about uh, just as I've been driving around, cause I, I drive over a couple of creeks that have spawning cutthroat in them on my way to the shop every day, my three, my, my three mile commute. I love it. Um, but I, I look at, uh, you know, just the water flows and stuff like that. And since the cutthroat spawning, especially in those small creeks is so dependent on, uh, on, on how much water's in the Creek. Um, the, the, um, you know, back in March, we had incredibly low water in March, like for a long time. And I um, mean, you know, I was out in forks for a while guiding and I couldn't believe how long, how low the, the water was getting out there. It was kind of like last year um, as well. And and I think what that does is that I think it delays the, the steel the, the cutthroat spawning. And so those fish that the bulk of the fish that would spawn in March, I think it pushes them more into April um when when, if there's some rain or you know maybe even into may so there might even be a lot of fish that are are still waiting to spawn and just waiting for uh more water to come more water to come so um so you know it's kind of we kind of all wish that they had spawned back in february (laughs) but um you know you 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 know you just never know what the you know what the uh the weather is going to do so um so someone asked uh what's the deal with fishing for cutthroat in the South Puget Sound there's a lot of good fishing around Hood Canal and Tacoma Gig Harbor region but what about the Olympia area do fish in this region behave differently or are they just not as prevalent and I would say that uh there's a lot of fish in the deep South Sound around the Olympia area um I don't spend a lot of time down there fishing um, because I just have, there's a lot of, uh, fishing right in our neck of the woods. And if I'm going to get in my truck and drive, I usually, uh, head north, northwest and I go out to the uh, hood canal. Um, uh, but I, you know, I try to stay fairly local, um, just because we have fish locally. And so I would say, so from my limited experience and knowledge of fish in the deep South sound, uh, you know, i you know, that Oakland Bay area, you know, around, um, um, uh, Harstein Island or what's the other one that's down there that the tribe has. Um, uh, but you know, so like that, that area that's down there, um, I, you know, I would imagine that the fish would have a similar behavior. I do know that there's more goby minnows down there than, um, than that are up here in, uh, our area. I don't think they are really up in our area. And so I think food source is going to be slightly different. Down in the deep South Sound, there's a lot more anchovies down there. Whereas uh, around Gig Harbor area, especially area 11, there's a lot more herring. Um, and so, you know, so the food sources are going to change a little bit. Um, but one of the things that happens is, is you know, you ha- sometimes fish will focus down and they'll get like tunnel vision on chum chum fry when um, uh, when those chum fry are coming out in the springtime, like right now. But then we start getting like the, the surf smelt, you know, their fry uh, hatch and come out, herring, the juvenile herring, juvenile anchovies, juvenile sand lance. You know, you, you in the summer, you end up with this explosion of small bait fish. And, you know, those the, the adults are too big for cutthroat to eat for the most part. You know, a cutthroat cannot cannot easily eat, you know, a nine or ten inch herring but uh, you know, the little, little baby herring, it, it can eat for sure. So, so June, July, August, September, there's, a, there's just a variety of bait out there. And if you only had one fly to throw in the summer, if you had a flashy olive over white bait fish pattern, I mean, that, that imitates. And if it's about two and a half inches long, two inches long, Man, that really imitates a lot of different bait fish in a lot of different stages of life. So um, so for those of you that are fly tires, um, you know, flat wing patterns like that, like uh, um, our buddy Sean Larson ties up this olive over white um, flat wing. And that thing is deadly. You can, you can even just fish it on a floating line, even though it's not weighted. Because when it stops with that feather tied on top, instead of on the side like a deceiver... When it's tied on top, it just kind of the hook pulls it down a little bit, and so as it's slowly sinking, that the tail just kind of wags. (laughs) It just it just kind of does this, and it just looks alive just sitting in the water. So it's, um, I mean, that fly, July, August, September, October, that thing is deadly. You know, not just for a sandline's imitation, but it just it just is fishy. It just looks like a lot of the stuff that's out there. Um, and so, I mean that, so that, you know, for summertime stuff, that's, that's definitely, um, definitely a good one. So, um, so, uh, so other than that, South Sound, um, I mean, I, you know, I know there's some anglers down there that will fish stickleback patterns, goby patterns, um, stuff like that. But then, you know, I know a lot of deep South Sound anglers are fishing the same stuff that we're fishing and doing quite well with them. Um, and if that olive over white bait fish pattern doesn't work, throw a sculpin. <laughs> I mean, sculpin are out there all year long and it's, uh, it's, I mean, that, that's probably the, the most, uh, you know, consistent thing to throw. So I, you know, before, uh, you know, a lot of people, ju- uh, jumped in, I was kind of showing off a couple new flies that I've been tying up kind of like a little, uh, mother pattern. Like, I mean, they're they're all sculping patterns that I'm, that I'm tying. I'm just coming up with lots of sculpins. Uh, there's another fly. That's a really cool one that I haven't fished in several years and I've been messing around at the vice with, and it's called a rolled muddler. And, um, it's, it's, a it's a muddler pat- pattern that has a bead on it. I don't know if you guys can see that, but there's a little bead on it. Um, deer hair that's trimmed. There's a deer hair wing on it. And then there's like There's mallard with a little bit of flash, and um, and a little bit of flash on it. But um, I, you know, I I found found a couple in my box. One of the things I did like a couple weeks ago. um, It's kind of it's a little pathetic, but uh, I I I was looking at my guide box, which is this this big fly box that's double sided, and there's like 200 flies in in this this the big box, and then I have a bunch of small boxes, and I'm uh, and I was thinking. I bet I could sell this box. I bet someone would want, you know, my guide flies with all this experimental stuff in it and kind of some secret stuff and stuff like that. And so I did a, I posted on Instagram as a, as an auction and, and it ended up selling for like 400 bucks or $410 or something like that. And I was pretty stoked on it. Like, you know, selling off my, my prized possessions. <laughs> but you know didn't really know how things were going to go with the whole you know coronavirus stuff i was I was preparing for the end <laughs> so even sold off my guide flies so i've been i've been having to t- tie up a bunch to replace them but um but i've been replacing them with you know probably a, a half of the boxes is, is all sculpins um and uh you know mostly in olive or in dark brown if that gives you any uh Any, any clues in on on stuff? The, the other color I would say is, so things that are in like a, a peach and yellow, kind of like a butter yellow, uh, color. Uh, I mean, I just have a lot of good, uh, good luck with that, uh, that color combo, especially in the winter time. Um, I mean, November, December, January, even a, like a little clouser. That's like a peach over yellow. Yeah. I mean, it's, that thing's things deadly so um so definitely you know colors change throughout the year on what's hot and um you know sometimes there's a really good reason for that other times i have i have no idea why um you know why you know why that that's the case so um someone asked please indicate the best spots and whether you prefer incoming or outgoing tides so i kind of already answered that part about the outgoing tides um and um best spots. Yeah. There's, there's actually, we give out quite a few spots. If you go to our website, there's a section called the neighborhood and we actually have maps on there of like all these different public access spots. Um, but I I mean, I really like hood canal, even though it's a bit of a drive. Um, it's, you know, especially the, like there's, so I kind of think of hood canal as there's a West shore, East shore, North shore and South shore. Right. So, so if, if hood canal looks like this, you have like Union down here with the Skokomish, Belfair's like over here, and then you have like the elbow where where it turns and there's North Shore with like Tahuya. the East Shore uh which is the Kitsap Peninsula that goes up towards Seaback and then to the bridge. The West Shore has all those all those rivers that come in. And that's the furthest drive for us. And so you have the Skokomish, the Hamahama, Hama, the Dosey Wallops, Ducka Bush, Quilicine, you know, all those all those different spots and i really like that east sh- the east shore um you know from from the bridge down south towards uh towards the elbow where DeWado and and tahuya are um and partly is because a lot of the houses are up on the bluffs it's a it's a natural shoreline and um i mean not only is the fishing really good and i f- i find some really some really quality cutthroat there. It doesn't get fished much. There's not a lot of beach access. So it's definitely a cutthroat, uh, like a kayak game or a boat game. Um, But you see like wildlife and it's just, it, you know, it feels, it just feels wild in the the experience. And I think for those of us that fly fish, I mean, that's one of the things that we're looking for is not just, you know, the most amount of fish and the biggest fish, but like we want the full package deal. You know, if it's just about the most, most amount of fish, I got to tell you guys, a gill net is incredibly effective. (laughs) So I mean, it, you know, a gill net just, it rounds them up, but you know, so like for the full, the full experience, I really, I really like that, uh, area of, um, uh, you know, of the sound so, or of, of hood canal. Um, and so, uh, for hook sizes, someone asked about, uh, about hook sizes, I would say, uh, I like to keep the hooks on the smaller side. And so, I fish a lot of eights and, and, uh, eights and sixes. Um, but, um, but you know, fours, uh, I'll, you know, I'll fish, uh, fours sometimes, but I like to err on the side of smaller because, um, you know, we're releasing the fish. Um, it, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like, um, whatever we can do to, to protect these fish that we, that we care about and love. Um, I, you know, I think, I think that's awesome. So, um, so okay, someone's actually on an exercise bike while while listening to this. That I mean that that is like bonus points right there. So um, colors of Sculpin, I, I kind of addressed that one with like brown, like like that kind of mottled brown and olive color, um, and then um, so okay, let's see. I'm gonna look at lot look through the the things and see if I can answer one last question from the the previously submitted stuff. And then maybe one from the chat. Um, Oh, when going to a beach, how do you find a cutthroat and what, what kind of initial tactics do you go with? I think that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I, before I like walk down the beach, here's a couple things. When I look at the beach, I want to look at what the structure is, what, what's already been shown that's higher up on the beach because sometimes there's, there's stuff that's, that will hold fish at a higher tide that they'll like. Um, so maybe there's like a, the, maybe the beach has a bend to it and there's like a bunch of boulders and there's some trees down and I can look at that and go, that is prime cutthroat habitat. They might, they're not using it now cause it's high and dry, but they're not far away. So then i'm looking at okay where would those fish slide to so this is like if i'm on a new beach that i've never fished before where would those fish move to that might be 50 yards away it might be 100 yards away i don't i mean you know maybe it's only 50 feet away but where are those fish you know maybe there's seven 15 20. where are they going to move to and hold that's going to give them cover that's going to give them access to to bait That's going to uh, keep them out of, maybe out of the stronger current, but they're close to it where, um, you know, bait being swept by, they can access. So I think about that. And then one of the things when I approach the water is that I, one of the things I like to say is to make a cast before your shoelaces are wet. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of times I've seen anglers, they get down to the beach, they strip off, you know, all all hundred feet of their fly line. And then they wade out there to here. And, you know, try, try to get the fly out as far as it can. And, and, you know, before you even step in the water, you know, walk up to the water quietly. You don't need to crawl, you know, I mean, no, no need to be, you know, you know, smoking through the waiter warranty, but, you know, like, you know, you know, you know, quietly as you approach the edge, just kind of look down the beach and just make a couple short casts. It's the same thing when you're in a river, uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, with, with, uh, with steelhead, you know, I'll have you know, spay anglers. You know, we love to like bomb the line and cast far, and like you know, people will strip off as much line as they possibly can cast at the very front. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's make a 15 foot cast first. <laughs> like, I'm sure you can cast 80, but let's let's work it out to there, and let's start with a short cast of maybe just the sink tip and and a little bit more, and then let's like let's just kind of work more line out, and so so before your shoelaces get wet, just cast out and just make a short 25 foot cast and strip the fly in and see what happens before, you know, and there really isn't a need maybe 90% of the time. There's not really a need to go deeper than, than waist deep. I mean, I probably never go more than knee deep. And, um, but like, you know, you don't need to wait out far. And, you know, if you really feel like there's a fish, That is 120 feet out there. It's really that it's really that far out there. Maybe that fish deserves to not get caught. (laughs) Maybe there's another fish down the beach that's closer. You know, or what probably is gonna happen if you see a fish jump or boil or whatever, if it's working. Uh, a school of bait that's in open, more in open water which, I mean, it's probably more like 20 to 22 feet deep. That's and it's probably sand lance or something like that. That fish will probably end up pushing those, those bait closer in. And so just waiting actually isn't a bad idea. Um, you know, instead of just flogging the water to try to get a fly in front of its mouth, try to watch them and see which way they're going and then try to position yourself for when that bait gets pushed closer to shore that you'd have an opportunity. So cutthroat as well as I would say coho as well. They like, they like shorelines because it's a fence. They can corral bait, you know? And so instead of the bait having 360 degrees to escape, if they can push a a bait ball or a school of bait against the shoreline, the bait can only go right or left. It's not going to jump up onto the beach, and it's not going to run out at them. So it's it's only going to go one of two ways. And so they like they like to use that shoreline to corral to corral bait. So think about that. Think about uh, how else bait can get corralled. You know, kelp beds for sure. They like to hide in the kelp beds, and so, you know, the fish will push push bait up against that kelp bed. I hope this was helpful. I hope you guys, I hope Tuesday, if you you're going fishing for the opener, I hope you hope you hook up some fish.